out of the depths I cry to you. The psalmist wastes no time getting to the heart of her poem. I'm underground. God, I'm in too deep. I'm out of my depth and I need you. Hear my voice. Friends, the depths are a scary place. I'm no fan of horror movies, but even from my limited exposure to scary films, I can name several which introduce this concept of a deep, dark, ominous space where people can be trapped or which hold unknown terrors hidden from our sight. Films like The Abyss and What Lies Beneath and Jaws and Jaws 2 and Jaws 3 and Jaws The Revenge. Like I said, my knowledge of such movies is pretty limited. <clears throat> but this concept of being in close proximity to the deep or being pulled under or plummeting or being trapped beneath something strikes at the very heart of our deepest fears. Being stuck somewhere out of earshot, losing our ability to see or to breathe or to cry out. We fear the deaths for really good primal reasons. The depths are places of unknown and ominous experiences which threaten to swallow us whole. And this is why the use of the word or the term the depths in the Psalms is a profound meta metaphor for danger or isolation or abandonment. In fact, the Psalms are filled, they're brimming with this imagery, the depths, the pit, Sheol, the grave. The names change, but the theme is the same. To be found in the depths is to be caught in the spaces that are most scary, to be caught beyond the place of no return. Psalm 69, for example, says it this way, I have sunk into the miry depths where there is no footing. I have drifted into the deep waters where the flood engulfs me. Psalm 18 says, The cords of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confronted me. And it's not just in the Psalms. It's also in all of the wisdom and prophetic literature in our scriptures. Isaiah 38 says this, For Sheol cannot thank you, God. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. In the aptly named Lamentations, chapter 3 says, The waters flowed over my head and I thought I was going to die. I called your name, O Lord, out of the depths of the pit. And of course, no one is more famous in the Hebrew scriptures for being acquainted with the depths than Job, who's attributed with saying this, if I look for Sheol as my home, I make my bed in the darkness. If I call to the pit, you are my father, to the worm, my mother and my sister, where now is my hope? And who regards my hope? Will it go down with me to Sheol? Shall we go down together into the dust? So coming back to Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, begins the psalmist echoing the themes of lament and distress that really reverberate across the pages and the ages. Lord, hear my voice. 
Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This is poetic. Friends, this is, the, the psalm is saying, I am crying out and my situation is so desperate that even my cries are crying out. Hear my voice and hear the voice of my supplications. It gives the hearers a sense of listening to a cavernous echo where you can't tell whose voice is what. Desperate, alone, the psalmist cries out to God with no reply. And ultimately, her voice remains the only voice in this poem. Because unlike some of the other books of Scripture, the psalms are one-way communication pieces. They're prayers. They're songs. They are utterly human in this way. So while the books of the prophets contain responses from God or messages from the divine, and while a lot of the narrative parts of our scriptures contain, at times, some strange and mysterious dialogue between God or God's angels and human people, the Psalms represent, on the other hand, a purely human expression of emotion and faith and experience. Pastor Stephanie reminded us a few weeks ago that John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And so we see in Psalm 130 the anguished cries of the Psalm writer who remains in a solitary, desolate place for the entirety of this Psalm. But interestingly, even though her situation does not appear to change in any way, her tone does. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. Friends, amazingly, this psalmist reminds herself in the middle of her plea that God is not a punitive God. That God is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. She remembers and recalls to herself the promise that her present condition is not the result of some punishment or some capricious action by God against her. And she clings to that promise. And I mean, she clings to it. Because what she says next is this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in God's word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. She repeats herself three times here. I wait, I wait, my soul waits. And the word for wait here is the Hebrew word kavah. And it refers to the twisting of strands to make a rope. The word conjures images of tension and friction and strain, but endurance, holding strong. To wait for the psalmist isn't to sit and twiddle thumbs or to turn on Netflix. No, to wait means to hold on, to cling, to build up muscles you didn't know that you had, to look eagerly and expectantly for your deliverance. And another amazing thing about that word, kavah, is that it has, it has no tense. So. Simultaneously, it means I have waited, and I am waiting, and I will wait. Which seems perhaps daunting and tiresome for those who are reading it. 
but it is exactly what the psalmist is committed to doing and what she asks for the other hearers and the other singers to do as well. Wait. And the psalmist ends her haunting solo by appealing to everyone. Hope in the Lord, with whom there is steadfast love and great power to redeem. And then the song abruptly ends without any resolution or response. No confirmation of deliverance, just as if to say, hold on, keep hoping, keep clinging. And I would guess that just about every single one of us in this room know what it's like to cry out from the depths. If we haven't yet, we probably will. Suffering is a part of the human experience. But knowing that doesn't make it any easier. I mean, just this past month, I've sat with some good friends right now who are dealing with a very difficult cancer diagnosis. And I've stood next to some other friends as they've mourned the death of our mutual colleague who was killed by Patterson police officers. And I've read dozens of letters from incarcerated senior citizens in prison this week, each crying out for them from their own depths of pain and grief and anger. And I've also spoken to many of you recently who are walking through some really challenging valleys or who are walking alongside someone else who's crawling, who's calling out from the pit. And everyone seems to be calling out, screaming into the abyss without any response from God. So what? Are we, is the good news today something like, just hang in there? It'll get better? Let go. Let God. Are we supposed to just join in with the psalmist, reminding ourselves that God is good and someday God will make it right? I, I don't know. Honestly, for some of you and for me at times, that may exactly be what we need. Maybe you do need to be reminded that God like the psalmist reminds herself that God is not a vindictive judge or someone who causes arbitrary pain. God's nature, even according to the psalmist, in her abandonment is thoroughly good and loving. And if that's all you need to hear this morning, I do hope that you hear that and that you believe it. But I think there's even better news than that here. I was reading a sermon by theologian Paul Tillich this week and it helped me think about the depths in a more profound way. See, for Tillich, depths has two different meanings. In one sense, it is the lowest place. It's the valley. It's the cavern. It's the opposite of the heights. But in another sense, depth is what is below the surface. It's the opposite of shallow. It's no less scary and no less unknown, but it is the place and it's the only place where truth resides. And for Tillich, the depths are what we as humans were meant to explore. We have instincts for uncovering things, for plunging into the unknown and learning and growing and becoming stronger. And yet, 
Tillich writes, this is a long quote, but it's worth <laughs> quoting, quote, Tillich writes, most of our life continues on the surface. We are enslaved by the routine of our daily lives in work and pleasure, in business and recreation. We are conquered by innumerable hazards, both good and evil, and we are more driven than driving. We do not stop and look at the height above us or to the depth below us. We are always moving forward, although usually in a circle. Which finally brings us back to the place from which we first moved. We are in constant motion and never stop to plunge into the depth. We talk and we talk and we never listen to the voices speaking to our depth and from our depth. We miss, therefore, our depth and our true life. And it is only when the picture that we have of ourselves breaks down completely, when an earthquake shakes and disrupts the surface of our self-knowledge, that we are willing to look into a deeper level of our being. <clears throat> End quote. Friends, I sometimes look at the moments of suffering around me, and I say to myself, I can't imagine surviving that. I don't know how I would go on if the bottom fell out completely. And yet, as I've watched <clears throat> people bear the weight of the world around me, sometimes crying out, and sometimes breaking down, and sometimes shouting out to God, they still stand underneath that weight somehow. And I'm convinced, actually, that Tillich is right, that the depths change you and that they reshape you and quite often cause you and us to become more aware and more alive. To quote another psalm, deep calls out to deep. And friends, please hear me when I say I do not mean or attempt to glamorize suffering. As if suffering has a silver lining or a grand purpose. But as I spoke to a friend last week, whose spouse was diagnosed with cancer, he described it to me this way. He said, in an instant, I suddenly realized what was actually important in my life. Everything else, all the superficial concerns that gave me so much stress, they were gone. The depths have a way of creating a certain kind of depth in us. Deep calls out to deep. And where is God in all of this? Where is God when we fall and when we hit rock bottom and when we cry out into the abyss? Friends, what if God is in the depths? What if God is the depth? Paul Tillich put it this way, God is the name of this infinite and inexhaustible death and ground of all being. The person who knows about depth knows about God. So friends, what if when you fall into the pit, you are actually falling into the loving arms of your creator? What if the tears you weep are like the sacred waters of baptism, washing over and anointing your face with the signs of God's eternal presence with you? Friends, Jesus seemed to understand this. 
And I believe it's because he knew this psalm by heart. We're told that Psalm 130, um, if you look in your Bibles, it even has this little subtitle, is a psalm of ascent, which was one of the songs recited by crowds of people on their pilgrimage to the temple, specifically during holidays and festivals. So friends, in a beautiful irony, the desperate lyrics of the isolated psalmist is quite literally contrasted by the inherently collective nature of worship using Psalm 130. So while we typically read Psalm 130 as a dirge or a slow, mournful lament, I wonder if it was more like a power ballad. I wonder if when the crowds of people heard the song start, they just waited for that chorus. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And they hear that word kavah, and they felt their souls twisting together like a strong rope all together. And they belted out, don't stop believing. Right? <laughs> and so I imagine Jesus, as he experienced some of the most agonizing depths of the human experience, whispering those lyrics, weeping yet smiling, knowing that we are actually crying out to God from the same depths together. And the name of that depth is God. Thanks be to God.